0: So today is the day that we shout, Hosanna. It's on our banners, it's in our words, we shout, Hosanna. It's a word that we don't use a whole lot, except on Palm Sunday and one other time. It's in our communion liturgy. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. In fact, if I were to say this to you, you would almost impulsively, some of you who've been in the Methodist Church for your whole life, begin to respond and so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven we praise your name and join there an ending hymn and you say holy 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 lord god of power and might heaven and earth are full of your glory hosanna in the highest blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest these words are written on our hearts by our communion liturgy by the ways that we celebrate palm sunday and in so many other ways, but this act of praise doesn't start on the road to Jerusalem as Jesus rides on the foal of a donkey. It starts in the Psalms and even before that. The folks who are gathering around Jesus, who's coming in riding on a donkey, repeating a song that they've heard in their synagogues the whole, their whole lives, that they've read as they've studied the Torah. It's the center chapter in the Bible. And they say, Hosanna, save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. That's what Hosanna means, save us. It's a cry for salvation, as they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then it continues, lead the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. If this song is written in your heart as, this is the day that the Lord has made, is written, on the hearts of our children and congregation. You know what's happening when people start cutting branches off of trees and shouting, save us, save us, O Lord. The Messiah has arrived. The heir to David's throne is here. It's not just in the Psalms that we see this. After King David had passed, and there were, there were several battles for who was going to be king along the way, but eventually a man named Jehu... Is anointed king. And is, he's done that by, um, at the command of the prophet Elijah. And he's taken into a room by a man that seems crazy by everybody else, and, and he's told that he's going to be king, and a bottle of oil is poured over his head, and he's told that he is going to deliver the people Israel. And when he comes out, they say, what did that crazy man want to do with you? And his head's covered in oil. They know something crazy happened. And he tries to tell them, oh, nothing, no big deal. Don't worry about it very much. And they're like, no, what happened in there? And he says, well, he anointed me as the next king of Israel. And immediately every man who was there, rather than mocking the craziness that had happened, took off his garment and put it before Jehu so that he could walk on that. They've covered the steps with it and blew the trumpet and proclaimed him as the king immediately he had shifted in their minds to someone other than one like the rest of them and they didn't have clothes like we did where you could just go in the closet and get another one this was probably their only garment that they let jehu walk across so that he might know that he is king and not have to walk on the dirty steps the people of jerusalem as they see jesus coming are ready for salvation, begging for it. Hosanna, save us, O Lord, we beseech you. With the song that is written deeply on their hearts as they desire for the heir of David to come back and take his rightful place. You see, King David, a thousand years before this, was told that someone in his line would always rule the people of Israel. But for more than half of that one thousand years, Israel has been waiting. And waiting for someone to save them. So as we try to understand what's happening here, as Jesus rides a donkey into Jerusalem, we also have to think about the real appeal of Jesus's power as they've seen it throughout his ministry. We have to think about exactly how marketable Jesus's skills would be. If you or I were Jesus, we'd probably be a politician or really wealthy, or both. Why wouldn't you hire Jesus? What kind of salesman could you be if you could know someone just by looking at them, as Jesus did to the woman at the well, at Jacob's well in in Samaria? He told her that she had five husbands and that the man she was living with now wasn't her husband. She didn't have to tell that to him. He knew. Now that's the kind of knowledge that can get your foot in the door you're trying to make a sale. And Jesus would be a real treasure at a medical clinic. Can you imagine the people that would flock to you and the low-cost materials of a little saliva and soil of just the touch of a hand or the hem of his garment to be healed? The quality of the results? What would people go to that kind of medical clinic? How much money could you make Casting out demons? Bringing people like Lazarus back from the dead? I mean, come on. What would you not pay for the health of your child? Or to not have to grieve the loss of your loved one? What would you pay for that? If you think I'm crazy that people would get wealthy off of this sort of thing, just Google megachurch pastor salary sometimes. Especially if they have or claim to have the gift of healing there's a lot of money to be made off the power of God and the vulnerability of people. We even see it in Acts 16 as Paul is walking around preaching and teaching and this slave girl shouts out, these men are servants of the Most High God and she won't be quiet and so Paul casts out the demon that is in her and the men who held her in slavery have Paul thrown into prison because they've t- he's taken away their livelihood. You see, they were able to take her and make money off of her because she could see and tell the truth in ways people were willing to pay for. They enslaved her because she could see things others couldn't. There's a great market for Jesus. There's more than that, too. Jesus has a chance to be ruler of everybody. He's offered that in the desert, but he has it even after that when he's not in the wilderness with Satan tempting him. In John six fifteen, right after Jesus has fed the 5,000, John says this, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I mean, think about the campaign speech that Jesus could give. I can give you enough food for everybody without raising taxes at all. If you'll just listen to me tell you where to cast your nets, you'll have all the fish that you can need. If you'll just bring me five loaves and two fish, I can make sure there's enough food to fill 5,000 bellies plus the women and children. Who wouldn't vote for that kind of thing? Health care for all with no taxes? Blindness, leprosy, deafness, muteness, decades-long bleeding conditions? Just send them to me. I'll take care of them. The one who can calm every storm, who can rescue folks who are drowning in the sea just by walking out on the waves without even the help of a boat. That man could generate some momentum for people to follow him and to do whatever he wanted. In Gethsemane this week, we'll read about how when Peter takes his sword and and slices the ear of the soldier that's come to arrest him, Jesus says, no, no. He says, do you not know that if I just gave the command, legions of angels would come to protect me? That's some serious self-defense mechanisms. Jesus could be king. Jesus could be the wealthiest man in the world, and everybody wants him to do it. As we think about it in these terms, maybe we're starting to get a sense of the power that Jesus could easily have the wealth that is available to him, the respect that he could command. He could be the hero. But he came to do more than this. And this makes everyone upset. You see, Jesus has come to fix the things we've been talking about through the season of Lent. Sin has broken us and fractured creation and our relationship in all kinds of ways. Through sin, death, and pain, and suffering, sickness has come into the world. Creation itself is fractured and unable to give the sort of life that God intended it to give. We, inside of ourselves, are conflicted. We want to do good, but we don't do it. We want to avoid evil, but we do it anyway. We can't even control ourselves. And this leads to broken relationships with one another, in our families, with our friends with our neighbors and with our enemies. And in all of this, we're separated even from God himself. And Jesus has come. God and man, God in the flesh, has entered into creation to live among us and begin to heal all of this brokenness, to take what we have broken and to fix it and absorb it into his own body. In Jesus' body, heaven and earth are brought together, This is what is happening. But the people of Israel want a prophet. The prophet that they get is going to come in just a couple of chapters after this passage of triumphal entry into Jerusalem and announce to them that the judgment of the Lord is coming soon. They wanted to be saved as they shouted Hosanna, but they expected to be saved from Rome, and Jesus has come to save them from sin and death. They wanted to wave their branches and for Jesus to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice with the people there and say unequivocally that David's throne is back and Rome can do nothing about it. Instead, he goes into the temple and tells the money changers that they're doing it all wrong and flips everything over and tells them to get out. The people wanted a shift in who was in charge, they wanted a political coup. And now, this one. With all of his power is their best hope yet. They can get out from under the tyranny of Roman rule. They can have their own king, their own law. They can live the way that they want to, finally, as God has promised them. I can't impress on you how deeply this desire ran for the people of Israel. For 500 years, for longer than our country has existed, they have longed for God to restore his people. And so as Jesus comes in on a donkey and they wave their branches and they shout from this psalm and they remember the story of Jehu being anointed to be king, they're ready for the victory that they've been longing for. They are so ready. And it turns out that even as grand as their hope is, That as any political analyst would tell them, any military analyst would tell them, that they're participating in delusions of grandeur that Jesus can't deliver them from the power of Rome. As grand as their hope is and as long as they've held it, their aspirations are still too small. They want a king in Jerusalem to rule over Israel. They're getting the one who will be Lord of all creation. They want someone to set them free from the tyranny of Rome, and Jesus has come to set them free from the tyranny of sin and death. Their dreams, we find, are too small. And I would bet that yours are too most of the time. I know mine are. Lord Jesus, just help me. Let, let, me ha- let me pass this test. Just let my, my team win this game. Just give us enough food for the month, or let me find a job. Just heal my loved ones so that I can spend a little more time with them. Just give me patience for this difficulty. Put the right leaders in office or let them remain in office so that the world can be right. Just let the right military win so the right people will die in order that the right people can live and rule. Lord, just do these few things for us. And it's not that Jesus isn't concerned with the state of the world. He is. It's not that we shouldn't pray for these things. It's that any of these things can easily become idols. We don't just need food. We need the bread of life. We don't just need water. We need the living water that only Jesus can offer that will satisfy. We don't just need healing or to be brought back from the dead just that we might die a while later. We need the one who is the resurrection and the life. We don't just need to be happy. We need the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. You see, Jesus is not a means to any end except communion with the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he's not just the means, he is the end in itself. Communion with Jesus is communion with the triune God. When Jesus doesn't work according to our expectations, we begin to think that maybe he's expendable that because he doesn't do exactly what we want when we want it, maybe he's not all that he's cracked up to be. Maybe he's just a fake. Because we can't see the grand nature of the work that he's doing. Because our vision of salvation, like those who know that Jesus is worthy of their praise, is still too small. Our vision of God's salvation is still too small. We want to deploy Jesus' power to our own ends. We want to enslave him and make him king, just like those men enslaved that girl who had the gift of divination, so that we can get what we want. That's how we'd like for Jesus to operate. But that doesn't let him be Lord of us. So when we don't get what we want, we turn on him like a toddler who doesn't get their way because they don't see that the parent knows best. Jesus has come not to rule over Jerusalem. He hasn't come for political power or money or to do the will of the people, though he could do any of those things. Jesus has come to save the world, to reconcile all things to himself. Jesus has come to take the pieces of the world that we have pulled it into and put it all back together. He's come to destroy evil and sin and to set the whole world right. Jesus has come to do exactly what we ask. Hosanna, save us. But the salvation of Jesus is much grander than what we know to ask for, than whatever we could expect. And we must be watchful that though it isn't what we asked for, that we receive it with praise. Will you pray with me? Lord, expand our vision of you. Expand our vision of the work that you have come to do in all of creation and even in our lives. We don't always understand why it is that you had to die, but we submit ourselves to you. We confess you as our Lord and as the Lord of the entire universe. And when our expectations are too small, Lord, Open our eyes to see the grandeur of your power. Open our eyes to see that you have not come to be served, but to serve. And invite us into a life of service and redemption with you. Change us and transform us. Draw us into the new world that you are making this old world into. And give us eyes to see the hope for a day where there will be no tears or sickness, no sorrow or oppression, no brokenness, no broken relationships. Heal us, Lord, now and always. Hosanna, save us. Amen.